0: Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy folks and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. The first thing I want to do today is to thank the patrons of Grass Talk Radio and those are the people who have stepped up And signed up for a small monthly recurring donation to keep the show going over on Patreon.com. And if you're interested in doing that, even if it's a small, tiny, minuscule amount, it adds up and it really, really makes a difference in keeping this show going and growing. So if you're interested in doing similarly and joining that uh, exclusive club of patrons over there, and I occasionally post things just for the patrons over there, little special things, trying to, you know, find ways of saying thank you to them, um, you can go to patreon.com slash bradleylaird. And even if you don't sign up, you can go over there and see, you know, what's been going on. All right, so thank you, patrons. And I've also had, you know, a couple of other, what I would just call outliers, who for whatever reason didn't want to do Patreon. That's totally fine. And I uh, had a guy hand me a check and just some, you know, some kind of uh, oddball support. Not from oddball, oddballs, but just you know, unusual methods of support. And let me tell you, I care not from which source it derives. It's just that there's a certain amount that is required to keep this thing going and growing, as I say. And one of the things I wanted to mention very quickly is that I have been segregating the funds produced through the patron support and specifically earmarking them towards needed things for the show such as you know the podcast hosting fees such as equipment things like that so you know you can rest assured i'm not you know cashing out the uh you know pulling 40 bucks out and heading you know, off to the liquor store or something like that, or you know, going to Waffle House or you know things like that. I am keeping that very separate, and the first I made the first purchase from those funds, and and I will tell you, the, the funds are still fairly small. I've got a couple of other things that I need to do that I'm is going to require some real patience on my part, uh, but the first thing that I purchased for the show is a usb analog to digital audio converter box and i researched a whole bunch of them and basically what this is if if you're unfamiliar it is the ability to plug a professional microphone you know the kind of mics you would play over at a bluegrass festival You know, condenser mics and high quality dynamic mics with an XLR plug. And, you know, the standard mic cables and things like that. And to be able to plug that directly into your laptop for digital recording. So it digitizes the audio. So I purchased one. It wasn't very expensive. It was, I think, $35. Made by Behringer. It's called a Euphoria U-M-2, and it has two inputs, it's got an XLR mic input, which is what I'm using, this is the first podcast that I've used it on, and I'm speaking into my microphone, it's going through the cord, going into the Euphoria, U-M-2, plugged directly into the XLR, and I'm going to do a little review on this thing after I've got a little more experience with it, but I'm already liking it. A lot it's got uh, you know decent metering just through a signal light and a clipping light and really that's about all you need to do you know to be sure you're not distorting and be sure you've got some signal and it has two channels so you can you know plug a guitar into it or plug a record player into it or you know you can use external sound sources other than microphones. It's also got phantom power, which is vital if you're using condenser mics. It's got onboard phantom power. It is all powered through the USB cable connection, so you don't need a wall wart and noisy wall warts. I'm telling you what, wall warts produce some mean, nasty RF fields. My Mac power supply is probably one of the dirtiest devices I've ever encountered. If you if you position that thing too close to your microphones, you just get these weird buzzes and clicks and stuff. Because it's just cranking out some kind of gross magnetic field around it. I always have to keep it positioned way away. Anyway... This thing also has a nice little headphone amplifier in it, so you can plug in and monitor, you know, the signal before it even gets to the computer. So the microphone is going into the device, and it's the audio is just being peeled off and amplified and sent back to a set of headphones. And you've got a a volume control there with a lot of a lot of gain on it, and <clears throat> That gives you a little more confidence when you're doing recordings um, to be, you know, hearing it, hearing the signal direct. You know, a lot of times you'll see sound guys at the back of the room wearing headphones. And, well, what are they listening to? You know, they may be listening to just one microphone on the stage because they're hearing a little something weird. And they'll just mute everything else in their headphones and they'll be listening to just that single channel And, you know, it helps them isolate little technical noise issues and hum and things like that. Anyway, this has got a great little um, headphone amplifier in it. And it's good and loud. And I can detect no latency whatsoever. If you're one of these people that are doing some home recording and you're using Audacity or something like that. Many times, the let's say you, you play a track and then you want to record another track with it so you're you're recording and playing back simultaneously and you're listening back on your headphone output of your computer and a lot of times there's a little latency a little delay in between the time the sound gets crunched the incoming sound is crunched and the the pre-existing file is played and they eventually get around to sending out the audio out to the headphone and the two things don't line up in time. And it can be very disconcerting to play a note and then hear it about a hundred milliseconds later in your ear. It just, it will, little things like that can just really foul up the recording process and they, they get around it with settings inside Audacity where you can adjust the latency which you know they're just trying to realign the two signals based upon how slow your headphone circuit is but the nice thing about this Behringer is it's just a direct um, it's probably analog where it's just peeling the audio right off the input mic and sending it over to a little amp and sending it straight back to your head and so far so good this thing is is pretty good Um, and it will do an important fact, an important, provide an important feature that I'm needing to do, which I'm going to talk more about here in the up, in the next few weeks, I'm going to be kind of announcing just a few changes in my daily routine and how I'm going to go about producing the podcast. And one of them is going to require being mobile I'm going to need to be able to record this thing away from home. So, and I'll get into all the, you know, hows and whys, but this was a key element in this because the Mac that I'm presently running, well, I've got several old ones, and I've talked some about the crazy methods by which I put this thing together. But here in the future, I need a very compact, you know, just fired up, hit record type of system and so this is the first step and it's only made possible through the generous um, contributions of the patrons so thank you patrons anybody else wants to get on that little bandwagon even if you just kick in a, a dollar a month or something you know Just think of it as my big tip jar, and it's kind of empty. So, you know, if you feel like it, just go to BradleyLaird.com slash... No, I'm sorry. Patron. Let me get it right. Too many dadgum URLs to keep track of. Just go to Patreon.com slash BradleyLaird. And that'll get you over there. Okay, now on to the subject I got an email this week and I occasionally get these types of emails because, you know, I produce so much beginner level material. If you go stroll around bradleylaird.com, you know, there's, you know, like little chord charts, how to play a two finger mandolin chord and things like that. And how to do the thumb pinch on the banjo. I've got very, you know, beginner stuff. You want to play here, you know, here's some free lessons. That's the, that's the hook that's what I'm reaching out into the world and trying to pull some people in and you know show them a few things and then present them with some of my other more elaborate materials. And so I will get contacted by people, and it's primarily beginners or near beginners who have questions, and I encourage that. Well, I got um, one, and it was sort of representative of many other emails that I've received over these, I don't know how long have I been doing this, 12, 15 years. And the basic question was, it was, um, it appeared to me like the person, you know, was taking some of my podcast advice and going to start a jam and going to start playing with other people and things, and had essentially assembled a group of, you know, pretty much ranked beginners and they're going to have a little jam session, you know. And they were using, or at least some of them were using, a publication I put out. It's an ebook called The Worst Title Ever Bluegrass Family Band Songbook. And I've talked briefly about this in a couple of episodes. I produced this to create 10 arrangements. Rather than just like if you get a, if you take banjo lessons, you're going to learn Cripple Creek, you know, (laughs) that's just the way it is. And you're going to learn Boil Them Cabbage Down. And maybe you sign up for fiddle lessons and they teach you some other songs. Or you sign up for mandolin lessons. If you take my mandolin lessons, you might learn, you know, Cripple Creek, but you might learn it in the key of A. And you might learn boiling cabbage down, but you learn it in A and the banjo players learning it in G. So what I tried to do was merge all this stuff together and create ten easy parts for banjo, rhythm guitar, mandolin, uh, fiddle, and bass. In standard notation and tablature, ten songs all in the same keys, so that you know a group of people could get together who were all trying to learn, and they didn't really have you know better players there helping them and stuff like that. And the banjo player could learn the banjo part to cripple Creek," and the mandolin player could learn the chords and the. You get what I'm saying. I, it, it's sort of like I arranged beginner, really easy arrangements for each tune. So these these folks. We're using that and the basic gist of the email was okay we we got together and we had our first jam you know it was great we had a good time but we don't really know what to do like how do we um like who kicks it off who goes first um what what do we do if somebody doesn't know the song they know the chords but they haven't learned to play the lead yet you know it's like this sort of basic question about song arranging so i've gotten variations of that um, questions involving well should i play the lead like all the way through or should i just do rolls or should i do like chords you know what seems so obvious to a guy who's been playing 40 years is not obvious to a guy that's been playing 40 days And so, what I'm going to do today is something that I have done with many of my students. You know, pity you if you were one of my students, because you might come over thinking you're going to have a mandolin lesson, and, you know, instead it turns into an hour and a half bull session, and we sit there the whole night listening to records or something. Because at the time, I might have felt like that is the most important bit of information this person needs right now. So, some of my past students may be listening, and you may be one of the beneficiaries of this uh, type of lesson. But I'm going to kind of recreate that today. And what, what I'm going to explain <clears throat> is that there are five major types of, of song structures in the bluegrass world. There are many more than five. There are variations. There are plenty of, you know, tunes and songs which don't follow these major categories. But the majority of them do. 95% of the tunes will fall into one of these five categories and it will help you figure out what to play? Any break? Here's a here's a question that I've received, and it, you know, I've started this this um, open jam session on Thursdays. We've had two of them so far. I'm not going to give a report on it, other than to say that it's going pretty good. And the second week we had more people and different people than we had the first week, so the jam's going good. I'll give a report about the Pat's Place jam and why I'm insane enough to do this again um in some future episode but at that jam just last thursday this very thing came up and here it is here's the question let's say you're singing somebody is going to sing a song and it has a verse and a chorus and the verse has a little melody and the chorus has a different melody maybe different chords And then they look at you and they say, take it. And, you know, they mean for you to play the next solo. And the question, it's a a reasonable question, is, well, am I supposed to play the verse? You know, like imitate the verse on my banjo? Or am I supposed to play the chorus? That's a valid question. And there are some standard rules for this sort of thing that are standard practices, They're not rules, they're standard practices. Um, So that's what I'm going to go through today. There are two standard forms of bluegrass instrumentals. And there are three standard forms for bluegrass vocals. So let's just go through them. And like my poor student who would be forced to sit through all this... Um, I'm going to use some real audio examples and for you lawyers out there I am claiming fair use for educational purposes. I'm giving these little samples and I'm discussing them it is all purely for educational purposes. And I will also tell you exactly what you're hearing. So if you hear something that you really like uh, these are all coming from my vinyl record collection. If you hear something you really like, you know, go buy the album. A lot of this stuff is is available on the used vinyl record market. It just look around on eBay and various places. And many much of it is available digitally. I, again, discourage you just from listening to it for free on YouTube. But... That's a different topic. So, here we go. We're going to go with the first instrumental. There are two instrumental categories of of basic structures. And by, by structure, I mean, how is the song put together? Like, if I say, I'm playing old Joe Clark. Or if somebody says, hey, play old Joe Clark. Well, what do I do? Well, old Joe Clark and a million other fiddle tunes... Fiddle tune being this category. They're divided into an A part and a B part. Some people call it the low part and the high part. Some people call it the, the uh, coarse part and the fine part. There's a few different terms, but the, it's kind of standardized into the A part and the B part. And the way these majority of these fiddle tunes are structured is that the A part is played twice followed immediately by the B part played twice so you go A A B B that is true for Old Joe Clark it's true for Liberty it's true for Cripple Creek it's true for Red-Haired Boy it's true for Saul Creek i could go on and name a thousand fiddle tunes which use this A A B B Structure. So, what constitutes one trip through the tune is you start playing the tune and you play A twice, followed by B twice. You've played the tune. You gotta do A, A, B, B, or you haven't played the whole tune. And then, in a typical, you know, like a jam session type of thing, after you play or somebody kicks it off and plays A-A-B-B, then it's handed to the next player, and they play A-A-B-B. And then the next instrumentalist plays A-A-B-B. And it just keeps going like that until somebody finally ends it. That's an A-B fiddle tune. A-A-B-B fiddle tune. That's the first thing we're going to hear, and I'm going to play you two examples of that. The first example is... I'm just going to play a little snatch of the tune Jenny Lynn. And the, the tune Jenny Lynn that we're going to hear, and I've ripped it down to mono, by the way, because the podcast is mono, is from Bill Monroe's Uncle Penn, which was an MCA vinyl record, 1972. And it's going to start off with Kenny Baker and Buddy Spiker on Twin Fiddles. And the personnel, and I thought it was interesting that they listed Bill last, the personnel on the tune that you're hearing is Joe Stewart on bass, James Munro on guitar, that is Bill Munro's son, and Robert Thompson on banjo and Bill Munro mandolin. And this album, by the way, I heartily recommend. If you hear this little thing just and you like it, go get the record. It's a great record. It's essentially the concept for the album was Bill remembering a bunch of old tunes that is Uncle Penn, Uncle Pendleton, Pendleton, Vandiver tunes that he played and they recorded them. And he, he's, you know, many stories floating around about how he could remember these tunes and was waiting on the right fiddler to record them. And Baker was anointed the right fiddler. But we've also got Buddy Spiker on here, who played with Bill a lot over the years and definitely on recordings and stuff. Great fiddle player. And so they're doing twin fiddles, and it's a good illustration of a classic AABB fiddle tune. So let's just listen to it. I'm going to, they kicked it off uh, with twin fiddles. And they played through it once, which is A-A-B-B. And then they played it again, A-A-B-B. And then they handed it off to the next instrumentalist. And I'll probably fade out when it goes there. I think it goes to the banjo player next. So here we go. This is a typical A-A-B-B fiddle tune. And listen as you're, as you're hearing it. Try to hear the A part being played. And then you hear it again. So you're getting a repeat. Then you the part changes and you hear that repeated. So here we go with a little bit of Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys on Uncle Pen playing the tune Jenny Lynn. buddy that is the real stuff right there and I'm telling you folks if you're if you're a bluegrass if you're interested in bluegrass and you don't own any Bill Monroe records shame on you come on get with the program here you know this is the guy that you know really assembled this thing we call bluegrass so give the guy his due and uh scope out the material is some of this stuff's amazing okay now the next thing I want to do, we're still on that first song form, the A-A-B-B fiddle tune. And sometimes you might think of these as banjo tunes or mandolin tunes. like, if, you know, you're sitting at a jam and you don't have a fiddle player. And somebody says, hey, let's play Red-Haired Boy. And the mandolin player kicks it off or the guitar player or something like that. Well, Red-Haired Boy is an A-A-B-B fiddle tune. It originated in the fiddle world. And Cripple Creek is a good example. We played Cripple Creek at the Jam last Thursday. We had a banjo player there, a guy named Adam Shutters, good banjo player, showed up. And, you know, as it was going around the, uh, around the circle, somebody says, hey, uh, Adam, what do you want to do? He goes, well, how about that old Cripple Creek? And he fired off on it. Now, a bystander might think it's a banjo tune. And it certainly is a banjo tune thanks to Earl um, and many other banjo players. But it's classified as a fiddle tune. Uh, so, it, Cripple Creek, everybody listening to this knows Cripple Creek or is in the process of learning it. Cripple Creek is a good example, another good example of an A-A-B-B fiddle tune. You know, regardless of what instrument you may be playing it on. So, I picked out a version of Cripple Creek just to demonstrate a different way of cycling through the brakes. Sometimes if the tune is fairly rapid or fairly short, like Cripple Creek, many times the standard procedure for arranging it, even in jam sessions, is for each player to take two trips through the tune before handing it off. So... This is a great example of that. And I, I love this little album. I only have volume two. Apparently there were other volumes. It's a vinyl record. It's called Festival Favorites Volume Two by Alan Mundy. Alan Mundy is one of the finest bluegrass banjo players ever. Just a real innovator and just a real high quality player love alan mundy and he produced this record called festival favorites volume two and it it was put out on ridge runner in 1980 it was a great record to uh buy when you were learning because it just had all these standard fiddle tunes and standard instrumentals and stuff on it and you could put the record on and play along with it you know with some great musicians and we have Alan Mundy on banjo, Robert Bolan playing twin fiddles, and he obviously overdubbed the additional fiddle parts. Robert Bolan was a was bluegrass boy for a time. We have Roland White on mandolin, Joe Carr on guitar, and Mike Anderson on bass. That is who you are about to hear. And this is just a a great version of Cripple Creek that demonstrates... The concept of playing an AABB fiddle tune, but just doubling it. So the banjo would play AABB, AABB, and then hand it off. So listen, let's listen a little bit of this thing, and I highly recommend that you also get a copy of Alan Mundy's Festival Favorite. So here we go Alan Mundy on Cripple Creek. <laughs> Fine picking. It's just, you know, it's just good stuff. That's just good picking and a great clean recording. I really, really like that record. Now we're going to get to the other type of instrumental. And by the way, those fiddle tunes, um, the A A B B fiddle tunes, like "Cripple Creek." A lot of times they have words, and they could be sung. Many, many fiddle tunes also have words, like. Boil Them Cabbage Down, you could sing that, or you could sing Cripple Creek. So it's hard to just totally categorize it as strictly an instrumental. But um, another type of instrumental, that you know, a song that is typically played as an instrumental, and again, some of these secretly have words that you occasionally hear, including the tune that we're going to hear. But what's different about this type of instrumental, it's what I call a one-trip tune it's harder to discern the parts within it like it's it's not as evenly divided up like an aabb fiddle tune it's just the tune starts and it goes and it goes and it goes a while and then it ends and some examples are foggy mountain breakdown you know it's just it's a chord progression and it's a melody but you can't say there's an a part and a b part or a C part, or D part, or any other part, to Foggy Mountain Breakdown. It's one entity. It's what I call a one-trip tune. Um, By the way, if if you're kind of new to this stuff, and I'm mentioning these example tunes, grab a pencil and and jot them down, and then go pull them up on the internet and listen to them, so that you can hear that form. Another example of one of these one-trip tune forms might be something like Sweet George Brown. Where it's just, you play the tune all the way through, and then you're done. There isn't really like a, a verse and a chorus, or an A part and a B part. Another example would be David Grissman's Eat My Dust, a.k.a. EMD. EMD, you just play through. Now, the arrangement that is handled, you know, how it's handled in the band or in the jam, could be... You play it twice, and then you hand it off. But it's what I call a one-trip tune. There isn't really a, you know, verse, chorus, A, B type structure in it. It's just once through it. And a, a classic example of this is the, commonly thought of as a banjo instrumental, the tune Dear Old Dixie, you know, originally done in bluegrass style by Earl Scruggs. But we're going to listen to a super cool version of Dear Old Dixie. Uh, for all you Bela Fleck f- fans, this is Bela. In 1979, on his Rounder album called Crossing the Tracks. And we're just going to listen to Bela take one trip through the tune and then hand it off. Just so you get the concept of you know what a one-trip instrumental is all about. So, you're going to hear Bela just tearing through it. Tearing through it like a banshee on the banjo. And then he's going to pass it off. Once he's made his one trip through the tune, he hands it over to Sam Bush playing fiddle. So, this is Sam Bush playing fiddle 1979. The other players, which I'm not going to play it, you know, I'm not going to play enough of it for you to hear the rest of it. Uh, but we've got Russ Berenberg on guitar. Great, great guitar player. If you're not familiar with Russ Berenberg's work, you should, you should go back and dig around, you know. Uh, Mark Schatz on bass back in 79. A guy named Bob Applebaum on mandolin. And Jerry Douglas on dobro, which I don't think we'll even hear any dobro at the at the kickoff of this tune. But just listen here to Bela playing a good example of what I call a one-trip tune. So here goes Bela with Dear Old Dixie. that's what a one tripper is you you just play blast through the tune and then you hand it off to the next guy and uh you know it's funny when i hear bush coming in playing i was i was playing this thing in preparation for today's show and i heard that fiddle and i had to flip the jacket over just to verify it's just like i heard that fiddle and i immediately knew that had to be sam bush just has to be. It just sounds so Sam Bushy, you know. Very Bushy. And, uh, you know, flip it over and sure enough, yeah, it's Sam playing fiddle. Uh, th- that's cool when you've, you know, when you're a great player and you also have this little something that can be identified as you. My floor is so squeaky today. Of course, my house was built about 1905. And these floors are pretty squeaky. So, pardon me for the for the squeaky floors. Great old album. You should grab it. Um, Bayless' solo album called Crossing the Tracks. Okay, now let's get into song structures of songs, true songs, that are, that people sing. And I picked out three examples of Types of songs. And the first type of song. Is what I call a verses only song. That is the entire song consists of. A bunch of back to back verses. And some examples of this might be. Let me look at my paper here. Um, Verse only type songs. Bury me beneath the willow. John Hardy. Uh, little maggie so these are these types of songs where it's just a stack of verses you sing the first verse and you sing the second verse and you sing the third verse and you sing the fourth verse and they all have the same melody and there is no chorus unless sometimes uh the what you might think of as the chorus might be sort of integral to the verses in other words All the verses might end with the same line or two lines sitting on top of the world is a good example of that. It's just verse, 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 but they all end with that, you know, I'm sitting on top of the world thing. So every verse is essentially a copy of the other verses with some word changes. It's very common in the murder ballads, you know, that sort of thing. So... Verse-only songs are very easy to determine, well, what do I play when it's my turn to take a break? Well, play the verse, because that's all we got. It's just verses. So somebody might sing a verse, and then the fiddle plays a verse, and then the singer sings the second verse, and the banjo plays the verse. It's just unambiguous. It's just the song. It's just nothing but verses. So here's a great example of it. And this is the old... East Virginia Blues. Um, you've heard Ralph Stanley do it and other people. I picked out a version off of my shelf here. Uh, this was recorded 1963 by the Country Gentleman. So the Country Gentleman at that time was Charlie Waller on guitar, John Duffy um, singing and playing mandolin, Eddie Adcock on banjo, and Tom Bouncy Bass <laughs> Gray um, playing bass. That is the busiest bass player who ever existed. Except for maybe that guy that played electric bass of J.D. Crowe for a while. Tom Gray, he's a busy bass player. And he's, he's busy on this one. But, you know, um, this is a classic version of... A verses-only type song. So you're going to hear them sing the first verse, and then somebody's going to take a break. And then they're going to sing the second verse, and somebody else is going to take a break. So this is a very simple song form. And so let's have a listen to the old East Virginia by The Country Gentleman. Uh, The album is titled Bluegrass Country, and it's been reissued a number of times under different names. Uh, But as I understand it, the original, the first one came out in 63. Uh, The one I had was probably stamped in the 70s sometime, and it came out on Pickwick. I don't, there there are many versions of this same album. So you may find a copy that has a different looking cover and so on, but if it's got that East Virginia on it, it's probably the same same version. So here we go, East Virginia with The Country Gentleman. (laughs) She's rosy red. On her breast, she Alright, so that takes care of the the simplest vocal type of song, which is there is no chorus. We just sing a bunch of verses back to back, and it's unambiguous as to what you play during your break. You don't have to decide should I play a verse or a chorus because there's nothing but verses so you play the verse. Um, The next type is a song that uses a verse followed by a repeating chorus. So you sing verse 1 and then you sing the chorus. Then you sing verse 2 and you sing that same chorus again. Then you sing verse 3 and you sing that same chorus again. So it's a repeating chorus the catch in this one is that the verse and the chorus have essentially the same melody. There's no real difference melodically or chordally in the, between the verse and the chorus. And some examples of that are, and they're, they're fairly common, would be uh, Banks of the Ohio, if you sing the verse... It'll be the same melody and chords when you sing the chorus. Uh, Some other examples, Worried Man Blues, Will the Circle Be Unbroken, Down the Road, Rolling My Sweet Baby's Arms, Crying Holy, Dark Hollow. Many, many, many songs. They don't alter the melody or the chord progression when they go to the chorus. It's just a different set of words that they repeat over and over and call it the chorus. Now, in an arrangement, that is typically where harmonizing will take place during the chorus, so that makes it a little bit different. But basically, this, the second vocal song structure, is verses and choruses with the same melody. And a good example of that is one that I picked out off of one of my favorite records, and was a huge influence on me because... This record, this two record set, was the first experience that I got hearing non-studio recordings. What I'm hearing are live festival tapes. So this is a live Bluegrass Festival record. And it is the classic Bean Blossom put out on MCA. 1973, recorded live at Bean Blossom, Bill Monroe's own Bluegrass Festival, one of several festivals he ran. And it has songs and, you know, sections, uh, sets featured by many of the performers who were there, including Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys, Jim and Jesse and the Virginia Boys, uh, Jimmy Martin and Lester Flat, and a whole lot of other people just a whole lot of people on this record the 1973 bean blossom two record live album so we're going to hear one that just listening through it i was like well this is a good example of that where pretty much the verse and the melody or the verse and the chorus share the same melody and chord progression and it is james munro that's bill's son when he um branched out from the Bluegrass Boys and started his own band called the Midnight Ramblers. And one of the songs they did was has become just a standard in the Bluegrass picking and singing world. It's pretty unusual to go to a festival or to go to a jam session and somebody not pull this tune out and play it. And as you hear James singing it, you'll hear him singing the verse, and then you'll hear him singing the chorus with some harmonizing in, the, in there with him. And it's essentially the same melody. So this illustrates the verse and chorus using the same melody. And it's a great old tune. Um, well, it's not that old, actually, but it is Love, Please Come Home. letter that I write to you, sweetheart, I hope you'll understand, that you're the only love I need, please forgive me if you can, sweetheart, I beg you to come home tonight, I'm so blue all alone, I promise that I'll treat you right. Slowly creeping around, and the fire's burning low. The snow has covered up the ground. Your babe is hungry, sick, and cold. Sweetheart, I beg you to come home. I love that. Of course, I, you know, when I was listening to that record back in the day, I immediately learned it. I learned uh, probably um, half of the songs on this two-album set. Learned them and learned how to sing them and learned how to play them from this record. And that became the basis for the material that I knew when I started putting bands together and going to jams and stuff. And people say, hey, what do you want to do? I say, hey, let's play that Love Come Home. And I learned it right off of this record. And you can do the same thing. Okay, now we get to the final um, song form. And if you're following along here, um, it should be pretty obvious what it is. And it is a verse-chorus structure of a vocal where the melody and chords are different for the verse and the chorus. So the verse has its own set of chords and its own melody. And then you go to the chorus and it goes to a different chord. You know, you've heard many a song where, you know, they're playing along a G and then they get to the chorus and now they got a new chord. They go up to a C chord and they start singing the chorus. And the chorus is a different melody. This is a very common form Uh, Some example tunes that you can look up and listen to where the verse and the chorus have different melodies and different chords. uh, Some song examples would be I'll Fly Away, uh, Footprints in the Snow, Old Home Place is a classic example. The chorus is quite different from the verse, Uh, Wayfaring Stranger, Rank Stranger. Even stuff like Rocky Top, you know, the verses and the choruses are different. But I picked this example because I, you know, I just want you to hear it. Because it's just such a beautiful song. And it's a beautiful recording by the Osborne Brothers. So you're going to hear Bobby Osborne uh, playing mandolin and singing lead with that just crystal clear, just beautiful bluegrass voice. And this is from an album that was originally released on DECA in 1965 called Voices in Bluegrass. And the one I own is a reissue that came out on MCA in 1973. And it was still laying around in the record store, you know, in 1975 or 6 when I bought it. And of course, we have Sonny Osborne singing harmony and and by the way, the vocal stack here is that high lead uh trio stack that the Osborns were so well known for because Bobby had such a clear high voice has such a clear high voice that it just made sense to keep him singing lead and put him up on top, and then everything else was stacked down below the um <clears throat> I don't think this was really their road band that was recorded. And it's very common, especially in those days, to go into the studio, and then you'd use a bunch of studio musicians to produce the recordings, but then you'd go out on the road with different other musicians. So if you were seeing the Osbournes, the Osbourne brothers in 1965 or six, you might see different people than what you actually heard on the record. But I did a little digging around and I found the personnel on this record and you've got Benny Birchfield is playing guitar and singing the third uh trio harmony part. You've also got uh Ray Edenton on guitar and I can't swear that they're both playing on that particular tune. It could be that, you know, one of them played on some songs and one of them played on another one on other songs. That's very likely. And then you've got uh lightning chance uh floyd chance playing bass um and william paul ackerman on drums some real light drums you know they, the the Osborns you know were they were commercial they were commercial country and sometimes you'd hear some steel and some drums on some of their recordings and then you'd you know they'd be out on the bluegrass circuit and they could kind of morph into a more traditional they kind of you know started real traditional and then got a little more countryfied and then came back to more traditional in the later years before Sonny retired Sonny's still around Bobby's still around and uh anyway this is just such a beautiful thing and soak it up because Everything in bluegrass doesn't have to be this, uh, just slam jam, flam jam 89 type of thing that, uh, it's, it's understated and it's beautifully sung and it is a perfect example of a song where the verse and the chorus have a different melody and different chords. So that's the, the last category of types of songs. So let's listen to it. Um get your hankies out. (laughs) This is called This Heart of Mine Can Never Say Goodbye. My lips will say goodbye That's just some good stuff. Now, I want to say a few more things about how this pertains to these five structures. The A-B fiddle tune, or the one trip through fiddle, you know, instrumental. Or the verses only type of song. Or the verse chorus where it has the same melody type of song. Or the verse chorus where they have different melody and chords. Those five basic structures, how you might handle them differently. You know, we already heard examples of, you can do, if they're short and fast, um, you might play instrumentals twice through before you hand it over to the next player. I I hear this all the time with tunes like Cripple Creek. But if it's a a longer tune, let's say you're playing Jerusalem Ridge, and you play all the way through it, you're probably not going to play it twice before you hand it to the next person, because it's pretty long. So the length of it determines, should I play this again? Jenny Lynn is, is a good example where often played, where you play it, you know, A-A-B-B, A-A-B-B, and then hand it off, because it's kind of a short tune. So what you do in a band versus what you do in a jam is somewhat different, but sort of the the standardized way of doing these things is to at least play A-A-B-B, and then hand it off to the to the next player. And in terms of instrumentals, almost always there'll be some instrument sort of associated with that tune. If you're playing Rawhide, it's associated with the mandolin. It's You know you might think of it as a mandolin tune. Foggy Mountain Breakdown, you think of it as a banjo tune. Orange Blossom Special, you think of it as a fiddle tune. And there are tunes that you might think of as dobro tunes or flat pit guitar tunes. But... It's pretty common if you're going to sit down and just jam on one of those tunes. Usually, that featured instrument, the one that is most heavily associated with, will kick it off. He'll get the first and last break, and then everybody else plays in between. And if you're short on pickers, let's say you got a banjo player who knows, you know, he can he can riff on Foggy Mountain Breakdown for an hour, you know. He's just really got a lot of variations, up-the-neck breaks and down-the-neck breaks and melodic breaks. And, you know, he could even play it behind his head, Clawhammer style or whatever. You know, if you got somebody that really knows a whole bunch of versions and has got a lot of juice on a particular tune, but the other players don't, well, you don't want to neglect the other players unless they just beg off entirely. But you want to give them a chance, but... You also don't want to let's let's say you're at a jam and there's three mandolin players. And the banjo player kicks it off, and the three mandolin players all one by one play their break, and then the the fiddle players, and then the guitar player picks, and it comes around. You've already played the thing like eight or nine times, and it, people kind of getting a little tired of the tune, and the banjo player maybe plays it and wraps it up. But he may have had more stuff that he could have done. So sometimes, if you're recognizing this sort of thing, and this is many times done in real band arrangements where they're trying to feature the banjo player, what what you might do is have the banjo player rip through it twice. Do two of his solos, two of his, of his fabulous solos, then throw it over to the fiddle player, and then go back to the banjo for a, another round of more wild and crazy Foggy Mountain Breakdown stuff, and then it goes over to the, to the mandolin or something, and then back to the banjo for two more trips through and a big flashy ending. What I'm saying is you can arrange these things many different ways within a band-type structure. You could just have the banjo player play the thing from start to finish, throw in everything but the kitchen sink, and call that your arrangement. If that's what you want to do, maybe your dobro guy don't want to play Foggy Mountain Breakdown for whatever reason. So in a band, you can do whatever you want to, but in jams, you need to try to include everybody. And I think it's a good practice to separate some of the instruments, you know, not have three back-to-back-to-back mandolin solos. You know, if, if if all your mandolin players are, you know, kind of in the circle, all in a line, you might work out some sort of arrangement where I'm going to go to you first, then I'm going to turn to my right, and we're going to that dobro player, then we're going to come back to you, number two mandolin player, then after you, we're going to go over to the fiddle player, and then after you, we'll come back to the third mandolin player, then back to the banjo. It's, uh you know, it kind of breaks it up a little bit. Who wants to hear three, you know, back-to-back mandolin solos? You know, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Puts more variety in it. So, you know, do it however you want to. And, and kind of let the tune and uh, people's ability levels determine how you lay these things out. And with one-trip tunes, just, you know, one trip through them. Tear through them and hand it off to the next. And work your way around. But I want to mention a couple of other... Uh, well, first, let me let me talk about options for these vocal tunes. Obviously, if it's the verses only type arrangement, you just play verses. But let's say you're at a jam and you've got a number of players that you're trying to squeeze in breaks for all of these. Let's say you've got eight pickers who all want to take a solo, but there's only three verses and the thing's over. Well, do you just put in three breaks and just stop? And sorry, guys, you guys don't get to play on that one because we're already done, you know? Or do you, you can double the breaks is what I'm saying. So one technique used primarily in jams, but sometimes in bands, is to increase the length of the song simply by having back-to-back different individuals playing their solos. So you might sing verse one, then you go to the mandolin player, he plays it, and then the fiddle player. Then it goes back and you sing verse 2. And then it goes over to two more players and they they play back-to-back verse type solos. And then it goes back and they sing verse 3. And you, you're, you're expanding the length of the whole arrangement simply by doubling the breaks. Um, I've seen them get out of hand too, where one verse followed by five solos, back-to-back solos, because they're trying to work everybody in. It can get a little carried away. Another way to do it is, and this is more appropriate for that, where you've got a verse and a chorus that have a different tune or different chord progression. Sometimes to work more people into the jam, you can do um, have one person play the verse and another person play the chorus as a break. So you sing verse 1, and you sing the first chorus and then you throw it to the first instrumentalist and he plays the verse and then the next instrumental soloist plays the chorus and then it goes back to more singing so that's a possibility you can play choruses as your solos it's common practice by the way in case you're wondering on one of those verse chorus and they have a different melody type songs Uh such as um, Old Home Place, the standard break procedure is play the verse. Play the verse. If in doubt, play the verse. Because some people naturally kind of want to jump in and play the chorus, and that's okay. Um, but the I would say that the standard method is to sing a verse, maybe two verses, and then a chorus, and then somebody plays the verse as a solo it's usually verses being used as solos but in band arrangements you'll often hear many variations of this you may hear you know two different instrumentals play verse verse as the solo section or you may hear the next time around it's two different people playing verse followed by chorus using the chorus as a solo So there's a lot of different things you can do. Um, A few more things that I hear once in a while in, you know, devising, well, what do I play for my solo? Or what are we going to do if you're a band during the solo? Uh, One thing is called split breaks. And that's, let's say you've got one of these verse, 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 verse type songs. It's just verse, verse, verse. And it consists of four phrases. There are four lines to the verse. Um, And a really interesting way to arrange that is to take two players and have them alternate lines. So player one, and now you're into the break, and they're playing the verse, but rather than just the mandolin playing all four phrases of the verse and calling that a solo, you might have your, your mandolin and your fiddle player alternating lines. So the mantle player plays line one. The fiddle player plays line two. Then the mantle player plays line three. And the fiddle player plays line two. I'm sorry, line four. So it's one, two, three, four. And you're switching back and forth between two players. A good example, just pull up Jim and Jesse uh, doing Sweet Little Miss Blue Eyes. Great example of split breaks. That was their common method of doing that. And what what's good about this is the break doesn't get any longer. It's the same length, but the audience gets more variety and you work more different soloists into the arrangement without increasing the time. You know, you could do you could do two back-to-back verses and say, well, we'll let the mound player play it all the way through and then we'll let the fiddle player play it all the way through. But why don't we just merge them, you know? on player plays lines one and three and the fiddle player plays lines two and four. And it's really cool how it's this handing off back and forth, kind of like watching ping pong being played. Uh we used to put a lot of split breaks into our Cedar Hill arrangements, because it just made for more interesting um, you know, total song arrangements. Another thing that you will sometimes do, or you could do in band type settings, would be to play harmonized breaks, and that is, when it comes solo time, um, you know, player A has a part all worked out, but player B works out a harmony to it, and they play together, they play their break together like a little duet in harmony. If you're hearing twin fiddles, that's what you're hearing. Um, so a harmonized solo is a really cool thing. Takes some work to work these things out and make them sound good. But it's really cool when, you know, especially if you pull off something like this at a jam session, you've sort of worked that out in advance. And, you know, the guy's up there singing, sitting on top of the world. And then he looks at the mandolin player and he says, take it. But instead of just the mandolin player taking it, the mandolin player and maybe a flat picking guitar or a a fiddle, they launch into their pre-planned harmonized solo and they play the verse together in harmony. And it's really cool. Sometimes this is done in just little parts. Like one, one thing talking about the split breaks where one instrument plays line one, another plays line two, you go back to the first person for line three and then for line four, the other person, uh, Sometimes we would do this in Cedar Hill, where let's say it was Mandolin and banjo splitting a break. Mandolin plays the first phrase, banjo plays the second, Mandolin plays the third, and then Mandolin and banjo in harmony play the fourth together really puts a good icing on the cake um there are, here are some other types of breaks that are sometimes done in songs and this is what i call the mass unison <laughs> and that is at some point somebody says everybody take it and everybody just jumps in playing the tune all together and it's very much in that old time music way or that in that kind of celtic jam way where We're all playing it and we're all playing it together. You know, it's kind of chaotic. But it also can be kind of refreshing and fun and cool and different. I first heard this on a Doc Watson record when he had you know he had a had a full band on there playing with Doc and Merle and, you know, bass players and stuff. Um and I think it might have been on the tune Mama Don't Allow. And, you know, they all take their solos, but then basically it's uh, the last verse was like you know, Mama Delano jamming around here, and they would just all play together. It's like five different people all soloing with different ideas, all simultaneously, and it's chaotic and kind of fun in a in a strange sort of way. We copied that idea for thirty years and uh, did that very thing when whenever Cedar Hill played Mama Delano, and uh, you know what? Since I'm including so many recordings, I think I'll just end this here and uh, go out with uh, just that tail end, a little bit of uh, the band I was in, Cedar Hill, playing one of those chaos, everybody plays simultaneously uh, type of solos on uh, Don't Lao. So here we go, and y'all have a good week. Talk to you in the next episode. Jamming it up around here She don't want no hot lips playing around here See the hill don't care what mama don't lie, gonna we'll set them strings on fire right now Here comes Bob.